Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. My name is Sine Zablewski, and I'm a cardiac intensivist at the Medical University of South Carolina. I'm also a member of the PCICS podcasting committee. Today, I have the opportunity to speak with Dr. Mark Schur, who is the Chief of Women and Children's Services at MUSC Sean Jenkins Children's Hospital, and also where he is a cardiac intensivist, and also with Kay Stewart Huey, who is a Vice President of the Heart Center at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Um, thank you, Mark and Kay, for joining us. I thought that uh, we could go ahead and just start by uh, each of you maybe telling us a little bit about what inspired you and uh, how you achieved um, this career pathway that you're currently on. Again, this is Kay, and I graduated in industrial engineering and immediately started working in management engineering for a consulting company at a hospital. And after a number of years of working there and also as a healthcare consultant through with hospitals throughout the Southeast, uh, I was on site at Eggleston, which is now Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Uh, about 25 years ago, I was able to join the hospital and um, pursue m- many different roles since I've been there, starting with working with uh, a number of pediatricians out in the community to do in physician practice management for outpatient and hospital-based specialties. And then I had the opportunity um, through these partnerships with the physicians and continuing to grow in that role to come on board with the cardiac service line uh, and fulfilling many roles through that. For me personally, um, being able to be a part of the mission and the vision of children's uh, and serving these children and their families being able to um, work as a dyad leader with physicians and being able to um, achieve a lot for the care of these cardiac patients is really what has inspired me. Hey, Kay uh, and Sine, this is Mark. Um, so my journey started as a clinician. Um, I was MedPeds trained. In fact, I was going down the internal medicine pathway to be an adult cardiologist and switched into MedPeds uh, in residency um went from trying to be convinced that I need to do adult congenital heart disease to um, focusing on pediatric cardiology, did a cardiology fellowship um, down here in Charleston, um, met some folks along the way, decided I want to do ICU, changed my journey to, to uh, Boston for some years, and then came back to MUSC in 2010, really to be a, a clinician scientist, uh, quality interest. Um, and, and all that took a, a series of changes over the last 10 years, really starting about six or seven ago um, and starting with a role to help um, lead the clinical design of a large hospital project um, uh, and then has evolved to be into my current role, which is essentially one in which um, I'm accountable for the growth, development, and strategies of the Children's and Women's Health Services for um, the Medical University of South Carolina uh, health system. Um, so a lot of changes have occurred over the last five or six years. I've been lucky to be a part of, of some of those changes for children's health care here. Um, and it's been a very, very interesting um, journey. At least I think it's kind of interesting. 
um, and certainly not one I predicted um, when I made a decision um, to, to be a cardiac intensivist years ago. When you think about this journey and this pathway to administration, what factors do you think from your perspective are, um, you know, important who, for people who are just, just starting this or, um, you know, kind of in the early phases of their, of their career? Yeah. So, um, I think, so people ask me sometimes, you know, why, how did I end up on this pathway or, or, or what do I, what do I need to do to get on that pathway? And it's kind of an interesting question because the, the honest answer is I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but in, I'm kind of kidding, um, but not entirely. The, you know, I can tell you where it started for me, um, it, which is the place where I think most cardiac intensivists can can identify with is I wanted to solve some problems that I didn't feel like were getting solved well. Um, and 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 early in my career as a as a bedside clinician, a member of a multidisciplinary team in a complex environment, which is the definition of cardiac and um, ICU care, um, you know, there were, quote, things happening or, you know, staffing issues or resource allocation or management issues that I just felt, quote, weren't right, right? That, that why were these things occurring? And um, who is making these decisions? And why were they making these decisions? And, and, I, and I filled in all those gaps with a lot of um, logic that was between my two ears. Some of it might have been right. I think a lot of it was wrong. Um, but that was the catalyst that made me want to, quote, go down this pathway of administration um, because I wanted there to be more um, clinician voices in the decisions being made. Um, I have to say, being on the other side of it, and I still am about 20-ish percent clinical, um, which is narrowly adequate to be adequate um that you know it's a really interesting journey being on the other side of that discussion which is where i am now um and and that journey and it still really is a journey is is one of trying to bridge the gaps between those two things um the bedside team and the administration who frankly have to make some really hard decisions too that mm. they are really quote, not fair decisions. There are only so many resources. There's only so many programs or strategies that we can do effectively, or we have bandwidth, or we have, frankly, the expertise to do well at this time or point, or to do in the way that seems, quote, the most ideal. Um, and just like in bedside cardiac ICU care, decisions have to be made. Um, and they're not always easy, just like in bedside cardiac ICU care. And they're not always clear. And they're not always 100% with all the data that you want or you think you should have or you wish you had, um, but you still have to make a decision. Um, so that's kind of where it began. And then it's just kind of snowballed into a series of different roles and responsibilities. Um, but I think it all comes back to me for from that same place of the cardiac ICU um, and, and how good teams are led, um, how they work together, how decisions are made. And frankly, in some respects, it seems very unusual that I would end up in the role that I am. But for me, looking backwards, 
um, the cardiac ICU really is, it was the ideal environment kind of nest um, for an administrative career. Um, and I and I frequently weigh heavily back um, to those experiences or current ones to help me think about decisions that are very remotely related from a subject matter standpoint to cardiac ICU care. Um, how do you build a program? How do you realign something? How do you assign medical directorships for other programs, not cardiac? How do you do all these things and why are you doing them? Um, are you communicating them well? Are you engaging people well in those decisions? Um, who has to make the, do you have to make the decision? Is it necessary for me to make that decision? Is it better actually to allow space for others to make the decision in a supported way? Um, just like what happens in good cardiac ICU care. Um, so again, that's a little bit of a ramble of kind of how it started and, and where I am, but I, I do think it actually does tie together pretty well from those initial uh, experiences and intents in my career. Thanks, Mark. How about you, Kay? Yeah, for, for me, tying into some of what Mark has just said, um, it was very important to me to be able to develop relationships with the people that I'm working with. And I consider those dyad relationships with physicians as we're making um, decisions. It is collectively. Uh, I may be the administrator within the heart center or of the heart center, but I am the decisions that we're making are collective. We come together. I think it's very important to build trust. Um, and in building trust, you need to be able to show vulnerability. And um, through that trust, you can have, you know, constructive, um, positive conflict and talking through um, what needs to be discussed or what needs to be decided. And um, I have used um, the, pa the Patrick Lencioni model. Dr. Robert Campbell, when I joined the cardiac service line, he introduced that to me. And Dr. Campbell has definitely um, been someone that I have looked at as being a role model. Uh, his mentorship with this and building teams and making decisions and driving results and operational excellence. Um, it is through that model. And so everything that I do, I am not successful on my own alone. I am only successful through the partnership that I have um, with my team, whether it be my management team or with my physician colleagues. Um, so all of that is very important and us being jointly accountable um, you know, holding each other accountable for our actions, for our behaviors, uh, the decisions that we're making, being able to make those decisions in the room and not going out um, out of those rooms and talking about it. You know, all of that's very important. You know, I think both of you come from very different perspectives and have had very successful careers um, and uh it really just a broad um, spectrum of skill sets. You know, knowing what you know now and experiencing what you've experienced thus far with this past year being an ex exceptionally 
um, unprecedented year. You know, when you look back, is there anything you would have done differently or wish you had had access to, you know, whether that be training, whether that be mentors, you know, to be able to do what you're doing now in your in your careers? Well, I know um, I think it's very important for anyone who's considering going down a path um, of being more, you know, of an administrator you know, whether it be that uh, you want to focus in quality or education, teaching, or, you know, being a chief of a service line or a program, I think it's very important to be able to seek the um, resources that your own institution may have in leadership development. Having a mentor is incredibly important. Someone you can work with um, that could be a mentor, an informal mentor, or maybe even more of a formal coach. Um, all of that's very important. I think, you know, is knowing how to build productive relationships, to collaborate, uh, communicating and influencing effectively. I think it's also important for um, seeking, understanding the importance of objective data, um, you know, and, and knowing how to problem solve. And a lot of this comes from, you know, the, the acting and adjusting that we have to do with the environmental conditions, whether it be, you know, from a pandemic or um, other things that we're facing competition you know, staffing shortages, a lot of that um, you by watching, observing, having mentors, uh, immersing yourself into leadership programs, you know, whether it's your own institution or others um, that you can access. I think that's all very helpful. Yeah, I would agree with Kay. Um, it, there does and kind of in a, in a balance, I think that there does need to be some intentionality and structure of your approach and meaning acceptance just like we would uh in our clinical you know expertise whether um you know in working in multidisciplinary environments um you know is your expertise in neurocritical care or is it cardiopulmonary critical care and and finding resources to help you on a given clinical set of patients or a specific one you have to do the same thing in these kinds of, uh, in this kind of work, um, whether that be, um, you know, the fiscal discipline part, finance, um, strategy, which, which is its own interesting field, um, and to be curious and vulnerable that you, you don't need to know all the answers or have all the knowledge, but that you're willing to listen and dig in a little bit um, when you when you recognize those gaps. So if 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 anything, you know, what would I have done differently to answer that question, I think is would have been to be a little bit more self aware and um, honest about where I was on the journey, less impatient too. Um, and then I'm going to flip it a little bit. Um, because Epictetus wouldn't like that answer very much. <laughs> um, I, I think that we need to live in the present. Um, we have the current skills that we have today to deal with today's problems. It is important to plan forward, both in our personal professional careers, 
and lives and in the things that we're accountable for. But most of our work is today. Yeah. What, what do we have today? How am I going to solve today's problems in the best way that I can with the team that I'm working with? Let me keep something on the side that reminds me of the things that we're missing or the things I need to develop, but not get stuck on those, not defer, defer decisions, or defer other things. And on the other side, I would say, let go. Let go of the past decisions. Let go of the things you didn't do well. Let go of the, the projects you left undone. And this is still hard for me. I have undone clinical research projects and I have Jane Newberger's voice in my ear telling me that that's wrong and she's so right. But that part of my life is gone. I did a master's in clinical research. I loved it. It has helped me figure out the, all those statistics classes. I love numbers. It helps me today in my non-research financial world interest and accountabilities. It helps me a lot. I am not going to apply for a K award. I was going to. I was on that pathway. I made other decisions. I moved on. It's a great journey. Today is very good. I'm very fortunate to be in the situation I am, to, to be in a situation where I can help people in this role for as long as I'm in it. I think a lot of us get held up in the things that we were on or decisions we had made or they may be things incomplete, things that we have to do in the future or aren't yet prepared to do and miss the opportunity to lead where we are. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and and I also will say it is not about titles. Boy, I have more phony baloney titles um, for things that I've had over the last six or seven years. I couldn't even add them all up. It has nothing to do with title. We all know this in the cardiac ICU, right? Mm -hmm. An amazingly awesome bedside clinical pharmacist who's dedicated to a team is leading, right? He or she is leading every day. The bedside nurse, the EVS person who's committed to that unit and that program, who everybody knows by first name, they're leading. We all get to lead. And again, as a physician, the other thing I'll say, which... Okay, you don't have to because whether you agree or not, but as physicians, we get all kinds of um, open doors. Uh, our opinions are given lots of voice. Believe me, they are. Being an administrator who's also a physician and clinician, when a physician says something, people really do listen more than sometimes other voices. And frankly, as a physician, I can say this sometimes more than they're merited. It's what we choose to do with those voices as physician leaders that really make the difference. And it doesn't mean you have to have a chief title of something or other. It doesn't mean you have to have a medical directorship title of this or that or the other. Good leaders will find those roles and titles if they really want to pursue that, if they're genuinely engaged, if they're truly collaborative, mm -hmm. if they're intellectually honest and curious, and they are really driven to change something or improve something. Those titles will come. They're not important to first have to lead. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I would just add to that, um, as Mark was saying, I think that, you know, in hindsight and looking back, some things that I, I would have 
I should have given uh, a little more grace, you know, to myself and some of the things that I was wanting to achieve. I think, you know, I set my sights on achieving um, a lot for our heart center, for our patients and for our team. And when things happen, you know, such as the, the pandemic um, and you're having to act and adjust and reprioritize, it's okay to say, you know, we're going to move this in our timeline. Uh, it's okay to say this isn't complete, but we need to focus now our attention on this. And so I think as leaders, we have to be able to give each other grace, our own selves grace, uh, and being able to make those adjustments. Completely agree with you, Kay. Um, yeah, I, could, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We're, we're fallible. We will make bad decisions, just like at the bedside. And we will we will twist ourselves and think about the decisions you wish you would have made differently or at a different time or a different way or with somebody else's input. And all those things are the same in administration. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you do. Um, I, I really think there's m- many more similarities from the bedside to the office than than might than people might know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we start to wrap up, one thing I would really like to hear is from your perspective as a field. From your perspective, what do you think should be our priority you know, goals for the next? a couple of years for the the near and mid future? I would say that um, in this, and in, in a PCICS is a, is a really a beautiful example of this. Um, we need to push collaboration even further. The, you know, children's healthcare, and again, from my viewpoint now, I get to see how something we, I think we all know is how collaborative those in children's healthcare generally are, certainly compared to those not in children's healthcare and other parts of healthcare. And, and how we often share best practices. We're, we're mm-hmm. I think, more, um, truly more multidisciplinary in many ways. PCICS, again, a great example of that. I think this also means collaboration between our centers. And, and we're already seeing a, a lot of good signs of this, where um, very tertiary quaternary-based centers are, are collaborating for good local care delivery with those not trying for the highest level of quaternary, but deliver excellent secondary and tertiary level care. Um, and, and that is certainly playing, beginning to play itself out um, in, in congenital heart um, services around the country. I, I think we really need to lean in on that and have, a, have, a, have an opportunity to lead children's healthcare in general in that respect. Um, we certainly have um, in the heart world in, in many respects. Um, PCICS, PC4, again, some of these regional alliances that are forming, um, transparency mm-hmm. of data. Um, they're, they're, there's a lot of hard work and hard decisions to do in that space, but I think that's where our future, our future sits. Yeah, I agree with Mark. Um, I think the collaboration, the sharing of practices, learning from one another, as an administrator, I do this with my colleagues across the nation, um, you know, whether it be through PCICS or whether it be through, uh, I'm very active with PC4 and ACC, our ACPC section, our CV management section. Um, we also have a PEDS pod where we meet monthly, but these um, types of collaboration, formal and informal, 
help us um, to better achieve, you know, really that quadruple aim that we're aiming for, uh, for our teams and for our patients. And um, these, you know, collaborating and benchmarking and understanding what others are doing for me personally has helped me immensely um, with the work that I do on a daily basis within Children's Heart Center. And there's um, a lot that we still need to tackle and that we're going to be challenged with, you know, in the future, uh, whether it be, you know, our reimbursement models, uh, looking at our uh, staffing provider coverage, uh, newer technology, using business and intelligence, using big data for predictive modeling uh, to help us you know, improve our um, operational, our finance and, you know, patient um, outcomes and metrics, you know, so there's a lot that we can achieve together. Um, it's, it's at our home base and also globally, you know, with one another. Thanks, Mark and Kay. Um, you know, thank you again for taking the time to speak to me today about growing the next leaders and administration that, you know, very much enjoyed having you on this podcast. And I think our listeners are really going to enjoy hearing your perspective. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated information on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much, much more. The song, I Don't Know by Grapes, was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.